everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Parasite Dog Podcast. I'm really excited for this episode because this is something that I've been seeing a lot of in clinical practice. And as I put together the pieces, I'm realizing it impacts a lot more people than I think we think it does. So today I want to talk about COVID-19. And I know most of us are tired of even hearing that. But I want to talk about COVID-19 and how it's impacting the body and specifically how it's impacting the body on the long-term scale. So what I'm noticing with people is this kind of combination between past COVID and neurological issues. And when we look at the actual system and what's happening with the COVID-19 coronavirus, we know, and there are studies out here that show that it impacts at the mitochondrial level. It also happens to impact the gut and the immune system. So what's interesting about the mitochondria is the mitochondria is that little powerhouse inside every single virus every single cell, right? So the mitochondria has to function properly in order for us to have energy, for us to feel good, for us to sustain bodily functions and organs. If the mitochondrias are not working, then we start to see system breakdown. So one of the research papers was talking about COVID-19 and the connection between the cytochrome pathway. So, or sorry, not the cytochrome pathway, the electron transport crane chain in which the cytochrome is within it. So there's something called the electron transport chain, which is the production of ATP energy. So essentially molecules go through this system and the end result is called ATP. It's the energy currency of the cell. This happens within our mitochondria. So with a breakdown in any aspect of the electron transport chain, we get a decreased production in ATP, which is the energy currency of the cell. And if we have less energy currency of the cell, the cells are going to look for it in other aspects. There's other ways to make ATP. We make it through glucose. It's not as efficient. That's why the Krebs cycle is so important. So the end result is if we're going to be disrupting mitochondrial function and we're going to be disrupting the production of ATP, which is the energy currency of the cell, we're going to see fatigue issues and we're going to see neurological issues. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because I always look at the connection between, so we're not just looking at chronic fatigue, even though we are looking at chronic fatigue, you know, we're looking at the immune system, but we're also looking at the gut. We're looking at the nervous system. We're looking at how this impacts our hormones. What I find really interesting with neurological conditions, and if you know, if you've been in my clinical practice, you know that I particularly like neuropsychiatric conditions. That's the connection between the neurological system and the brain and how they manifest. But what's really interesting is conditions, for instance, like multiple sclerosis, and I work with this in my practice, is you know we're not just looking at the immune system, we're looking at the nervous system and the very foundational principles that are associated with that. So there's amazing doctors like Dr. Terry Walls who actually focused on multiple sclerosis with her story. She ended up getting diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, ended up in a wheelchair, and she was kind of putting up the or putting the pieces together, uh, trying to figure out what was going on with her body because she, with multiple sclerosis, it's really just kind of a downhill battle depending on the form that you have. And, you know, that can sound dark and doomsday, but that's the realistic nature of it depending on how severe it is. I mean, you, it gets debilitating quite fast. 
So with her, she ended up coming up with the Walls Protocol, which is a protocol that's essentially ketogenic in nature. But what's interesting is that she focuses on the mitochondria. And the mitochondria, like I just explained, are the powerhouses of the cell. And the way that she used ketogenic nutrition, so ketogenic nutrition is essentially the absence of carbohydrates. Now, when you're pulling carbohydrates out of the body, you're going to put it into a ratio of 70-30. So you have 70% fats, Uh, 30% protein or it can alter a little bit you can have 60% fat 40% protein and a mild grade of carbohydrates what you're doing here is as you take carbohydrates out of the system you push your body into something called ketosis so instead of burning glucose as sugar you start running on ketone fuel What's really interesting about ketosis is that it causes autophagy. So autophagy is essentially when the cell dies and reproduces a new cell because the old cell essentially wasn't functioning properly. So it takes out all of these old bad cells and it reproduces new ones. So at the end of the day, what she noticed is that through this process, through this dietary adjustment, she was able to restore the mitochondria. She was able to restore her, her energy pathways as well as her neurological function because when we think about the nervous system, we're also thinking about fats, right? Fats pay, play an intricate role in our cells. So if you go down to the very level of the cell, there's something called a phospholipid bilayer. The phospholipid bilayer essentially surrounds the cells and it makes sure that things are moving in and out and that there's an actual structure and integrity of the cells. The other thing about phospholipids or um, cholesterol in general is the production of our hormones. Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone are based on the building block of cholesterol. So when we have a deficiency in fats, which unfortunately in our standard American diet or common Western diet, we tend to look at fats as something that we don't want to put into the system. So we move towards um, processed sugary foods, carbohydrates, things that are going to fuel us in that essence. And what happens is our body ends up getting less cholesterol, less fat, good fats for those important organs. Like I said, our hormones, our brain, etc. So what she noticed is, is when she made this shift, she helped her mitochondria regenerate. She helped her nerves regenerate, which like I was talking about, have a myelin sheath, which is essentially a fat around the nerves that allow that signal to propagate throughout the body. So if you don't have a proper signal, right, you're going to get disruption in those nerve pathways. So the signal from one nerve to another nerve is not going to go through if you have no myelin sheath. And that's what happens in multiple sclerosis is you start to get degeneration of those myelin sheaths and you get disruption between the nerve signaling pathway. So why did this work? Well, this was fascinating and I love her story and you know she works with lots of different people because of it is this approach actually helped her reverse her multiple sclerosis. So she ended up getting out of a chair. She ended up, um, you know, being functional, which is absolutely unheard of in terms of multiple sclerosis. Because normally, like I said, you end up uh, with your minor symptoms, you're falling over your feet, you've got neurological issues, and then it eventually becomes um, to the point where you could be in a wheelchair, you have urinary incontinence, you have issues going to the washroom. And that is usually the end result of multiple sclerosis. So the fact that she was able to take herself and reverse engineer herself out of the wheelchair and put herself into a place where she was stable and walking is incredible. And what she was doing is she was focusing on these very foundational principles, which are the biochemistry of the body, the mitochondria, and helped restore her body from that perspective. So 
pretty cool science here. And why I'm talking about it is because I'm seeing this again reemerge in the context of post-COVID. There seems to be an overlap between MCAS and CIRS. So for those of you who are not familiar, MCAS is mast cell activation syndrome. On the mast cell spectrum, we see more of that itchiness. We have the urticaria. Um, we have more histamine intolerance issues. We've got the digestive issues, the chronic fatigue, the joint pain, that kind of stuff, but a little bit more uh, histamine intolerance on the CIRS side of things, which is the chronic inflammatory response syndrome, we're seeing more of a hyperactive immune, see a little bit more of that joint pain issues, more of the chronic fatigue, brain fog, memory, all of that kind of stuff as well, as well as temperature intolerance. So what's really interesting is I'm noticing that there's this parallel between people who were infected with COVID and people who are now presenting with conditions like chronic fatigue, brain fog, joint pain, MCAS, CIRS, and when we break it down to the science, what's interesting is that we're coming back to the mitochondria because the mitochondria is the base producer or energy producer of these cells. So if we have a poor dysfunctional mitochondria, the chain then starts to break down where we have disruption in detox pathways, uh, we have disru uh, disruption in enzymatic pathways, and then all of a sudden we're getting this backlog where things at the very foundation are breaking down. So Really, really interesting information. So what patients are reporting from long haul is they're reporting brain fog, chronic fatigue, like I said, joint pain, which can last for months, but I'm honestly seeing it longer than uh, months. I'm seeing years of this happening. And I think this is happening because of what's happening, like I just said, on the cellular level. There has been little research on it. We're starting to understand, actually, there was a paper, and I'm trying to remember what the paper was, but it was talking about the consequences on neurological long COVID. So we're seeing a lot of memory lapses, um, brain fatigue, those long-term consequences um, for people who have had COVID as well. So studies have shown that the virus can defect, uh, directly affect the mitochondria, leading to a decrease in energy production and increased oxidative stress. So decreased energy is not good. Oxidative stress is really not good. So oxidative stress, we're looking at free radical production. So for those of you who are familiar with free radicals, it's essentially... If you're looking at like an atom with a whole bunch of electrons on it, you pull one electron off and all of a sudden that molecule becomes unstable. And what's great with um, antioxidants is if you have free radicals in the body, you supplement with antioxidants and an antioxidant will come in and it'll have an extra electron and it'll give it to that reactive species. So it'll say, hey, you're unbalanced. Take one of my electrons, stabilize yourself, stop causing damage because that's what they'll do. O um, oxidative stress and free radicals will start to cause damage to the tissues it will start to cause damage to the cells and it can es essentially affect the blood vessels and any other part of the body depending on where it is so this could be brain cells this could be nerve cells um, blood vessels etc so reducing the amount of oxidative stress is really important it's really easy to do that like i said supplementing with antioxidants well if you're looking at antioxidants from a food perspective we're looking at our berries we're looking at our citrus fruits we're looking at a good whole foods plant-based diet you know with the mediterranean diet is the most studied it's one of the most well-known and that's because it has a good balance of omega fats so if you're looking at Medi uh, mediterranean diet structure you have fish you have nuts you have good extra virgin olive oil you have coconut oil there's none of those refined gross 
chemical oils, right? So when we're looking at like grapeseed, rapeseed, flaxseed, all those disgusting canola oil, these are not good oils. They're cheap oils, they're GMO oils, they're highly manufactured oils, and they're actually inflammatory oils. So those are not oils that you want in the system to contribute to your good fats. When we're talking about good fats, we're talking about butter, we're talking about extra virgin olive oil, we're talking about coconut oil, we're talking about avocados, we're talking about nuts and seeds. Nuts and seeds are interesting because there's a spectrum of inflammatory and non-inflammatory nuts and seeds. So when we're talking about peanuts, we know that peanuts in the context of mycotoxins, so mold, is a huge issue. And what you will see is that people who actually react to peanut butter, they have a high mycotoxin or mold exposure level. So peanuts, the way that they go through the process and their whole drying process, they they essentially have time to breed mold. And then when they check them, they're not checking them for the mycotoxin level. So they roast them, put them into a peanut butter, and they're not checking the amounts of mycotoxins that are actually in that crop. So peanuts, I generally say as just a caution to avoid, always stick with almonds because almonds seem to be better. Um, some people can have things with cashews. Walnuts are also good. So just making sure that you're getting, you know, that good fats um, into your body from a good source. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the gut-brain connection because this seems to play a role in COVID-19. COVID-19 can disrupt the delicate balance of the gut microbiome leading to dysbiosis. So this is another thing that I see, I'm see i seeing. So this imbalance not only affects digestion, but also impacts the immune system and can trigger some systemic inflammation. So this is where the MCAS is getting that foothold to come through. That's where the CIRS is coming in because we're getting this level of disruption in the gut. The gut is integral to immune function and its dysregulation post-COVID might contribute to ongoing immune system challenges. Another key aspect involves the immune system itself. Long COVID is associated with immune system dysregulation where the body's immune system remains heightened or even altered after the virus is no longer detected. That's where we're seeing the cytokine storms. This dysregulation can lead to conditions like MCAS where mast cells become hyperactive, releasing excessive amounts of inflammatory mediators contributing to a range of symptoms. So let's break that down. The gut. The gut is our immune system, right? So that's essentially where all of our good bacteria, bad bacteria are in the gut. The gut connects to our nervous system. So there's something called the myenteric plexus, comes down, innervates our gut. That's what gives us gut motility. It's also the on and off switch. So when we're talking about sympathetic nervous system we're talking about the fight or flight when we're talking about autonomic nervous system we're talking about or sorry parasympathetic nervous system we're talking about the rest and digest so it's gas and break gas and break we want the parasympathetic nervous system on in order to digest our food and to absorb it that's really important for like i just said parasympathetic is rest and digest so when we're talking about gut brain, we're talking about the brain's connection to our central nervous system and peripheral nervous system, which comes down through the, through the myenteric plexus, which essentially innervates the gut. Now, this is really important to keep things at bay, right? Because our gut microbiome is essentially what absorbs nutrients. So that delicate balance is what absorbs nutrients, keeps things in check, keeps our immune system in check, and keeps things healthy. 
when we have gut invaders like viruses, parasites, um, bad bacteria like uh, clostridia or overgrowth, now we're looking at things that can potentially disrupt that delicate balance between the nervous system and the immune system. So when we're looking at the gut and dysbiosis, dysbiosis essentially is a fancy term for there's bad bacteria in the gut and there's too much of it. When there's too much bad bacteria in the gut, now we open the doors to leaky gut syndrome. So leaky gut syndrome essentially is those barriers that were in the gut that were holding things together are no longer working. And what's scary about, I don't even want to say scary, but what's not good about leaky gut syndrome is that if you don't have those protective barriers stopping things from moving through, now all of a sudden things that should have gone out in the stool, should have gone out of the body, now have access to our systemic circulatory system, which is essentially our blood. So if that opens up, now we have all of these free riders. We have toxins, we have parasites, we have viruses, we have bacteria going into our systemic um, circulation, which can then affect our blood. When that's affecting our blood, it can also go to the brain. So we see this kind of combination between the blood-brain barrier opening up and brain fog. So at the expense of not kind of going on a tangent too much, the blood-brain barrier is a disruptive barrier that keeps things from going into the brain. So essentially, it's, it's a protector wall. When the blood-brain barrier is compromised or is allowing things to leak in, you're going to get an increased inflammation in the brain because toxins that should be not go- that should not be going into the brain are coming through the blood-brain barrier. And when that happens, we see inflammation of the brain. We can see brain fog. We can see um, cognitive issues and memory issues. And this can be, there's too much toxins or essentially an immune response going into the brain and causing inflammation and issues. And where does this all start? Where is this all coming from? This all comes from the gut first, which is why I'm talking about the gut. So healing the gut can be really easy. You can do functional medicine testing. It can give you a breakdown of what's going on in the gut, whether there is good uh, bacteria, whether there's bad bacteria. You can look at um, parasites. It'll tell you all of that. Can even look for markers of whether there is zonulin. Can tell us if there is a leaky gut syndrome. You can check for celiac. So if you're looking from a testing perspective, that is available to you. Uh, the next step is making sure that we're helping the gut do what it does best, right? So that's supporting the gut, gut microbiome in the way that it's disrupted. So if you have, um, you know, mold that's disrupting it, for instance, you want to take the mold out and you want to support the bacteria that help the removal of mold. So you're going to help build up that gut lining with things like glutamine, and then you're going to help with the microbiome, which is your lactobacillus, aphidophilus, your bifidobacterium, and then all of the other ones that can help with different circumstances depending on what you're doing. So gut is always number one. Number two is also nervous system. So where I'm seeing this really interesting is people obviously are getting worse when they're stressed. Well, that makes sense because and the more stressed you are, the stress response essentially is there to help you kind of combat acute stress, right? So what will happen is the triggering of cortisol, which is a natural anti-inflammatory in the body. It says, calm down. Don't worry. I got this under control. We're going to bring things down. But when you are chronically stressed and chronic stress can be situational, can also be the body is under inflammatory stress for a long period of time. 
those abilities to keep things in check get reduced. So your body is going to try and do its best to keep you in homeostasis, but now you have this added fire that's coming from the gut dysbiosis that's creating the inflammatory response. So that's where the gut immune connection is important too. And that's where we see MCAS is histamine and the gut go hand in hand. So if we're having gut dysbiosis, we're seeing uh, histamine reactions due to the macrophages producing too much histamine, then we want to go in there and we want to shut down the histamine. This can be done through low histamine diet or histamine support histamine blockers. We want to bring down that immune response so that the immune system is in check. Then we're going to look at the layer of, like I said, the nervous system. So let's reduce the stressors. Let's make sure that we're not tipping off things, um, you know, that can cause things to get worse. Let's try and get this under control from making sure that we have a non-stressed environment, which can be really hard because most of us live in chronic stress. If you're working all the time, if you're not sleeping well, if you're not eating, well, now you're adding up all of your different stressors. So you really want to go back to the basics is making sure that you're sleeping well, making sure that you're having... Having, um, mindfulness techniques that can help bring your um, stress states down. I have worked with people who've had to take work off for prolonged periods of time. So one to two years, which seems extensive. But if that's what you have to do to heal your body, then that's what you have to do. So if you heal the gut, get the immune system in check and make sure that the nervous system is, is in a good place. So Let's talk about the association between CIRS and post-COVID. CIRS, also known as chronic inflammatory response syndrome, is a condition triggered by exposure to biotoxins. Share some similarities with COVID long-haul symptoms. Interestingly enough, COVID-19 might act as a trigger for CIRS in some individuals, amplifying inflammation and leading to a cascade of symptoms mirroring those seen in CIRS. So what I do want to mention on this as I have noticed that, and people have talked about this before, that COVID seemed to hit your weak spot. So if you had uh, chronic mold exposure in your history, what I am saying is that it's becoming worse in people who had the history. So the thing with mold is that if you don't deal with it, then it's still going to be there. So mold, essentially, it can colonize in the gut, but it can also produce mycotoxins that then are excreted into the body, which becomes a biotoxin. So what I have noticed is that people who had that history of mold exposure, and then they went and they had COVID-19 on top of it, now we have this storm of things that were kind of sitting there. It's like an opportunistic situation where inflammation can now thrive, gut dysbiosis can now thrive, and now we have a storm of inflammation in the body that we have to handle. So very interesting to kind of see that association in people and to talk about it because like I said, I'm seeing a lot of people who, in my clinical practice that have MCAS, CIRS, POTS, um, all of these neuroinflammatory conditions that are coming from a dysregulated immune response, dysregulated nervous system. And there always seems to be kind of a piece of that COVID-19 tip off in there. 
So what can we do? Well, I've given you a couple of things to work on, but the main thing is do what your budget allows. So if you can't afford testing, you can obviously still heal without testing. Testing's great because it tells you what's going on at the you know microscopic level, what's going on at the cellular level. The oat test is one of my favorites. It tells you about your metabolic system. It'll tell you about your mitochondrial health. It'll tell you about your gut health, your parasites. It's really kind of like the catalyst test for moving forward. If you are dealing with a mold situation, your next one could be a mycotox test, all depending on what you need. IgG food sensitivity can also be great if you're dealing with chronic inflammation because the goal is to get your inflammation down and to reduce any stressors that essentially are impacting the body. So IgG food sensitivity can be controversial. Some people believe it works. Some people believe it doesn't work. In my experience, I have seen that when you understand, you know, what foods uh, are impacting your inflammatory levels and you take them out, then you are impacting inflammation and you are reducing them. So those tests are available. The next step is then tailoring your treatment protocol essentially to what's going on in your body. So if we want to reduce inflammation, always start off with supporting your gut microbiome, making sure that there's no leaky gut syndrome. Then we want to add in our antioxidants, making sure that our immune system is stabilized. We have all of our factors, precursors for immunity. Vitamin C is a huge one. Zinc is a huge one. Uh, B complex, B vitamins, all of your basics that are often overlooked. Do not overlook them because they impact the mitochondria and they impact your overall um, immune response and immunability. So go there and then work on your lifestyle factors. Make sure that you're going to the gym. The gym is important for releasing toxins, for releasing chemicals, building up your immune response, stabilizing your immune response, making sure that you're flushing out things, detoxing. So working out is very important. Now, of course, if you're on the spectrum of chronic fatigue, there has to be that delicate balance of when you're working out and when you're not working out. But that's something to have a conversation with your medical practitioner about. Make sure that you have your mindfulness techniques, your stress reducers, and look at it from an overall picture. If you have the option to work with a medical professional who's aware of this, I do suggest doing that because it's best to have a path forward. And I hope this is interesting for you guys because I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. And this is just something that I'm observing. I'm noticing the impact um, in individuals and kind of what's presenting itself and what's moving forward. So I wanted to educate people about this. I wanted to say, hey, I am seeing this. If this is you, you know, you're not alone. There's other people who are experiencing it. And there are things that you can do to, to move forward and start helping your body heal. So I hope you liked this episode. I always love comments. Let me know what you thought of it. And thank you for being here. I will see you next time on the Parasite Doc Podcast. And that wraps up another episode of the Parasite Doc Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. The show wouldn't be possible, obviously, without you guys. We love to hear your feedback. What did you think of the show? What did you think of the topics that we touched on? And we're always open to feedback on things that we could improve on or topics or people that you'd like us to interview. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next time on the Parasite Doc Podcast.